Thank you, choir and worship team, for leading us into God's presence. Powerful. Um, and for those who are wondering, it is a diver. Diver on my tie. Why am I wearing a diver? Well, I have good reason. Because it matches my shirt. <laughs> That's the only reason. All right. Well, <clears throat> what are we building our lives on? That's been the theme of the service. It will continue to be the theme at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. Every year in Germany, there's a sandcastle competition that takes place, and, and the international artists in 2019 were recognized in the Guinness Book of World Records when they constructed this tallest sandcastle ever, 57.94 feet. However, it wasn't long before the storms came, and it was dismantled by Mother Nature and maybe a few kids and teenagers as well. Well, wouldn't it be horrible if we were to spend years constructing our castle in the sky, you know, our, um, our, our great house, you know, our, our place, place of refuge, only to be destroyed within seconds by a tornado or hurricane? Well, we want to build our lives on something of significance, but with one good storm, what we are building could all come tumbling down unless it's built on the right foundation. Greg Berdine shares about a massive, massive earthquake that took place in 2000, I'm sorry, in 1989, October, during the World Series when it was happening out there in San Francisco. How many were alive in 89 when this tornado came through? Well, structures all around San Francisco area um, fell to the ground or they were, they were damaged because they were not built in on, on a solid foundation. They were built on filled in areas, and so they didn't fare well during this, um, this hurricane and the earthquake. But the South Pier Golden Great Bridge continued to stand, even though its South um, Pier is built right over the San Andreas Fault. But it remained steady and strong, because when Golden Gate Bridge was originally constructed, um, the, those who built it blasted through the bedrock beneath the ocean to the deep foundation. And so when earthquake happened and when they happened, the Golden State Gate Bridge was perhaps one of the safest places to be on the face of the earth, besides Nebraska. It, it is, it's a safe place because it was anchored on rock-solid foundation beneath the ocean floor. Well, Jesus talked about two houses that were built perhaps side by side in his parable when he said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Two builders. They had three things in common and one difference. First, both heard the words of Jesus. Second, both sought to build a stable house, a place of refuge. Third, both encountered violent storms, but the difference, only one withstood the storm because 
of its foundation. Well, we as believers in Christ, actually we as everyone, we have similarities. We all have similarities. Um, we all have probably heard the words of Jesus' teaching. If you're in church this morning, then you're going to hear it today, maybe for the first time. But we've all heard, if we were raised in church many times, the words of Jesus. Uh, many in Jesus' day heard and approved of Jesus' teaching, and they loved it. He taught with authority. And they even saw his miracles, uh, healings, um, supernatural nature, miracles in nature, and they saw transformed lives, and yet many did not still believe, while others did believe and follow. And those who did, they remained strength, uh, strong and stable and secure. We're all seeking to build our lives on the same foundation, or not same, on foundations of security, right? All of us. We want secure foundations for our homes, for our families, for our health. We want secure foundations to build our life upon. So we expend a great amount of time and energy, resources, investing in things that we believe will make us happy, secure, and protected from the storms of life. No one's different. We all want good lives that way. Thirdly, we all will experience storms in our life, every single one of us, of one kind or another. The storms came to both homes. Whether you are on the solid foundation or not, the same storms hit it. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat up against that house. There are pressures from above, the rains came down, there are pressures from below, the streams rose up, there are pressures from all around, the wind blew. There's all different kinds of storms. James tells us we have trials of various kinds, many various kinds. And it beat up against the house, the storm did. The word beat means to violently strike and dash against something. Storms hit both houses with equal intensity. The obedient and the disobedient experience the same storms. Many believe that people experience storms and trials and tragedies because they must have sinned and God is punishing them. But we know from Scripture that it was oftentimes the obedient that experienced the more, more severe storms in God's Word because of persecution and op spiritual opposition uh, because of uh, things like this, even to the point of martyrdom. People would lose their lives or they'd have to watch their loved ones die before their eyes. Even to this day, that is a storm. And they're believers in Christ, trusting in him. Matthew 5, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you and when they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is a reward in heaven. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, nobody's ex exempt from the storms of life, as some teach. And we also know this by reading all the characters and throughout God's word. You know, Joseph, who was in prison for many years and falsely accused. Esther, who was put in this crisis situation to save the nation. Moses, who uh, had to wander for 40 years with this obstinate people in the wilderness. David, who had to run for his life from his very own son. Daniel, who was thrown into the lion's den and fiery furnace. Um, and 
the prophets who were falsely accused and misunderstood and rejected. Nehemiah, who tried to build the wall, but again, great opposition came against him. John the Baptist ultimately lost his head because he confronted uh, the leader. Jesus, of course, was crucified. And then the disciples, all but one, died as martyrs. This quote says, faith does not mean trusting God to stop the storm. It means trusting him for strength to walk through the storm. God doesn't lift us above the storm. He gives us strength as we walk through the storm. Now, some will stand secure in the midst of the storms, while others will not. And I'm talking about Christians as well. What's the difference? One's foundation when uh, Matthew 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms came, it did not fall. Why? Because they heard the words and they acted upon the words of Christ. 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. When the storms came, it fell with a great crash. And the rock foundation, the one who builds their life on the rock foundation, is the one who practices the word of God, not just simply hears it or knows it or studies it or memorizes it, but they practice the word of God. And the one who crashes is the one who does not practice. Well, isn't that a works righteousness? I thought we were saved by faith. You know, we have our foundation of Jesus in our lives because of our faith, not by our works. No, we don't obey Jesus to gain God's love and acceptance. We're already loved and we're already accepted by God, but we respond to God because we're already loved in the same way that I responded to Fred J. Natarelli, my gymnastics coach when I was in high school, or my diving coach for that matter, in college and in high school both. I had great coaches. And when they coached me, I didn't fear them. If I messed up my routine, I didn't fear that Fred J. Natarelli would throw his chair or he would look disgusted or he would ignore us or he would bench us or he'd kick us off the team. Rather, every time he just smiled, shook his head and shook, stuck out his hand and said, hey, We'll get him next time, man. We'll, we'll work on it this week. And next meet, you're going to do a lot better. You know, he believed in us. And because he believed in us and accepted us, we wanted to do our best for him. We wanted to please him. It's the same with bosses that are like that and fair or, or like uh, teachers, family members. Now, even as believers in Christ, we can hear the words of Jesus and still not obey him. If we fail to carry out his words, then we will live insecure, spiritually insecure, unstable, and weak. We'll live in defeat as believers in Christ. But if we carry them out, we'll live spiritually secure, strong, and stable, even in the midst of storms. Well, what are the words of Jesus when he said, if you obey these words of mine or or do these words of mine, what are these words? Specifically, this comes at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. So the first few chapters, or the five and six and seven, 
you know, what comes before if you obey my words, but more generally, if we obey God's word and his promises throughout Scripture. And what are some of the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, the promises or, or commands even? He said, love your neighbors, love your enemies, refuse to retaliate, recognize that we all fall short, we all deal with lust and anger issues, which equate to adultery and murder in our hearts. We're no better than others. Forgive as God has forgiven us. Refuse to judge others, rather pursue reconciliation. Worship God as your first priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. Live for permanent treasures in heaven, not for temporary things on earth. Remember to pray about everything. Let your light shine through our, your good works. Refuse to worry, rather trust in God. These were the words of Jesus throughout his Sermon on the Mount. Well, let's just focus on one example of one who lives secure or insecure. Jesus said, forgive as you've been forgiven. Forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive, will live in unforgiveness, right? If we refuse to forgive as Jesus taught us and do the words that he commanded, then we will remain trapped in our anger and bitterness forevermore. And we will experience unforgiveness in our lives. Uh, we'll get caught in this vicious cycle of revenge and retaliation. We'll remain guilty of murder in our hearts. We'll miss out on the kingdom living, the abundant life that God promises us. We'll fail to love our enemies and reflect the, light of Je the life of Jesus. Therefore, we'll fail to shine for Jesus and bring him glory as believers in Christ. Rather, we'll be filled with worry. We'll remain spiritually weak when storms come. That's just one. If we fail to live it out, all those ramifications and consequences where our lives, yes, they're built on Jesus as our foundation. We know as Christians we affirm that Jesus is our foundation. Yes, Jesus is our Savior. He's our Lord. We're going to be saved forevermore. Like David said in Psalm, or 2 Samuel, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He's built on this solid rock. Uh, Psalm 18, he says, for who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except for our God? Luke 20, they said of Jesus, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And we sing this marvelous hymn, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. Yes, I am a believer. But, but, we live in a world that bombards us constantly with its promises for happiness, security, and stability. And might we, even as believers, fall into the trap of the world's promises, the world's lies? In fact, in, uh, 20 years ago or so, George Barna did a study of 2,033 adults, a survey, asking, how do you go about making your decisions? And only 4% responded with any biblical worldview response. Of those who were uh, born-again Christians, they said they were born-again Christians, only 9% said I make, we make decisions based on 
a biblical worldview or based on God's word. So based on that, we can live life as Christians without living for God's word and God's word. And if we don't think right, then we won't live right because our actions and our lifestyle begins with our thought life. Our thoughts lead to actions, and our actions lead to habits, and our habits will lead to a lifestyle. It begins with a thought. We've got to think right. So let's, let's think right by knowing what the worldviews are, the worldly worldviews upon which we could fall victim unknowingly. The first is hedonism, and this comes from a sermon years ago by Rick Warren. He highlighted these worldviews. Hedonism. Um, if it feels good, it must be good. It is the pursuit of pleasure and self-indulgence above anything else for, for happiness and meaning. Hedonism. Advertisers know that we are tempted by this hedonistic worldview, and so they direct their advertising to sell their products, like double your pleasure, double your fun. Well, that sounds like I, I want to have fun, so I'm going to go get some gum after church, right? Or... Lays, bet you can't eat just one. They appeal to this lust for more. Hedonism. If our life goal is, say, retirement, if, it, if our goal is retirement, then we have bought into this hedonistic mindset. If our life goal is to make enough money to live comfortably, then we are living into the hedonistic worldview. If our goal is to kick back and relax, or if it's to live for the weekend... I'm just going to live for the weekend. Uh, I can't wait. Then we bought into this hedonistic mindset. Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the truth. That's the biblical truth that opposes that hedonistic mindset. Secondly, another worldly worldview is materialism. We want more, more, more. The one who dies with the most toys wins. I am worth more when I own more. So my life goal is to earn more and possess more. Advertisers know this, and so they want to sell their products. Save money, live better, Walmart. You want to live better and save money? Shop at Walmart. And then your life will be happy. Or a diamond is forever by De Beers. A diamond is forever unless you're on the Titanic. Then it's not forever. In fact, everything that we own will disintegrate. And the only remaining things will be our soul and relation in God's word. If it were true that materialism uh, would give us security and stability, then I guess we could, we could consult the richest and most popular people who, to ever live, like J. Paul Getty, one of the wealth, wealthiest people from England, he confessed, I would gladly give up all my millions just for one lasting marital success. And last week I remember watching on TV uh, top ten Hollywood couples in one of these shows on some channel, and I can't even remember who they are. I knew all of them, like uh, Brad and Angelina, you know, Brad, I don't know. What do they call them together? Brangelina or something? I don't know. Or Tom Cruise and his wife. All, all of them, they highlighted all ten in the half-hour show, 
and all of them, their marriages didn't last. All ten of the most popular, respected, revered Hollywood couples, none of them lasted. Mark 8, Jesus said, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? The third one is individualism worldview, individualistic worldview. I depend on me alone. I don't need anyone else. Nike says, just do it. Just, you do it. Go, just do it. Or, or move what move, moves you, Halstead. Well, we're all a part of the body of Christ. And each one should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Our purpose is to serve God and serve others, 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 others. It's not about, not about uh, that individualism. I can do it myself. You try severing off your arm and say, I'm just, I don't want to go to church. I just want to do my own thing over here as an arm. And on my arm will do a lot of good things. Well, what, what good thing can an arm do severed from the body? Absolutely nothing. I can't tell you how many Christians tell me, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, let me cut your arm off and, and then have you respond again. Narcissism is the next one. If uh, hedonism is, or materialism is more, 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 narcissism would be me, me, me. I am always right. I only do what is best for me. Burger King said, have it your way. L'Oreal says, because you're worth it. I'm going to go buy L'Oreal products because I feel worth it. The me generation gave birth to the culture of narcissism. It ignores what is good for the community, what is good for others, what is good for the family, what is good for the church, because the only thing that matters is to take care of my needs. But Jesus said, again, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for others will find it. And then there's pragmatism, worldview. If it works, that's great. Whatever works. The end justifies the means. Um, Uber came out and said, move the way you want. You know, it doesn't matter if it's legal or ethical or whatever. You know, if it works, then it's good. The end justifies the means. Um, Relativism is popular theology today or belief. Like, if your truth works for you, it's good. It might not work for me, but it's good for you, it's good for me, and we can disagree, and, and you know what? There's no absolute truth. Your truth is as valid as my truth. And we talk, talked about that last week, and Jeremy did two weeks ago, Matthew 7. The wide road leads to destruction, and the narrow road leads to life, Jesus taught. So, okay, Jesus said that, but he was wrong. He was wrong. You know, he was too narrow-minded. Or he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Not a way, but the way. No one comes to the Father except by me. And then he also said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth. And I am the truth. There's no other way. I am the foundation. Then there's humanism. We're all good, and we can solve all of our own problems because we're human. We don't really need God. I'm the master of my own fate. My will be done. I am my own truth. That was the original sin. Eat this, Adam and Eve. Eat this, and then you'll be like God. Uh, Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. Um, Alexis says, the relentless pursuit of perfection. You know, that's what you need to do. Just 
pursue perfection. You can do it. Or, or help people do good things, says the law firm of nonprofits. Helping good people do good things. You can be good. You don't need God. Frederick Nietzsche said, God is dead. And then he went insane at the end of his life. Sigmund Freud thought that God was a fantasy, made up, and he committed suicide at the end of his life. Proverbs 14, uh, the writer said, there is a way that appears right, but it ends, uh, but in the end it leads to death. And then the final worldview we'll look at before the biblical is fatalism. Fatalism teaches everything happens that happens is predetermined. It's fate. It happens for no reason. It just happens. Fatalism. And we're powerless to change anything. Now, we know God is in control and he's sovereign, but fatalism says fate is in control. No one's in control, and there's no reason for anything. Um, Ford says go further, which has nothing to do with fatalism, but the Ford Pinto said found on road dead. That's what Ford stands for, F-O-R-D, found on road dead. Or as someone said after the first service, front in ra on race day. So it depends. Will the Ford win? Yeah, I don't know. It's fate. It depends. It de you know. No, Jesus said this way, I'll direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He will direct your paths. He's in control. Mark 10, with God, all things are possible. You don't have to be hopeless. You don't have to trust in fate. He's in control. And now we may say, I don't subscribe to any of those worldly worldviews because I'm a Christian. But we fall victim to these worldviews. For example, a college student on a date, they adopt the hedonistic worldview. Or you're landing a big deal at work, and all of a sudden you become a pragmatist. You know, it may not be a, totally ethical, but it works, you know. Or you're too busy to serve others because of your, your job or whatever. Well, then you're a materialist. Or your unfair boss or spouse or friend, they blame you. Um, they're always wrong. I'm always right. Well, then you've become a narcissist. Or I'm at least better than that guy. Well, then you become a humanist. Or I can live my faith on my own. I don't need, I'm sick of church. Then you become an individualist. We fall into these worldviews and these lies thinking that they will give us meaning and purpose and stability and happiness. But we buy into them because we don't build our lives on the biblical worldview. Real security comes when there's a change in our thinking and we start to build our lives on the right foundation, which is the biblical worldview, which is Jesus is the answer for the world today, Andre Crouch saying, or on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, or rock of ages cleft for me, I trust in you, or the Lord liveth and blessed be the rock, and may the God of my salvation, you know that song, or Jesus is the rock, and he rolls my blues away. The one who chooses the foundation of Christ is the one who hears the words of Christ and not only believes them, studies them, 
memorizes them, but does them. They practice them. They're the ones who remain in Christ in the midst of storms when they come. When the rain came down and the streams rise and the winds blow and beat up against that house, it did not fall because it has its foundation on the rock. And who's this rock? 1 Corinthians, for no one can lay any foundation other than one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the rock. He's our foundation. Now I'm preaching to the choir here today because I would guess most everyone here knows Jesus as your Savior and Lord. But I'm also preaching to the choir because we get duped and deceived by the world's values and worldviews. And when we do, our lives, spiritual lives become, we walk in defeat. And, and we walk in insecurity and lack of faith, etc. But there are also many of you who have encountered massive storms in your lives. And some we know are currently walking through massive storms. But yet they continue to come to church. They continue to serve in their ministries. They continue to give glory to God and worship him. They continue to pray and fall on their face in dependence on the Lord each and every day because they say, God, I am so weak. I am so, so weak. And apart from you, I would crumble and fail. But I trust in you because you alone are my rock, my, my foundation, and I trust in you. And so, Lord, that's what, why we're here today. That's why we're here sitting in the sanctuary or listening online because we want to acknowledge our trust in you once again. We want to lay ourselves down on, at the altar and offer ourselves as living sacrifices before you to say, have your way in my life, Lord. Have your way. You're the potter. I'm the clay. You shape me. You mold me. You transform me. Make me into the image of Jesus because I, here I am. I'm here to serve you. So thank you for my sisters, my brothers in Christ here this morning or listening. And I thank you, Lord, that they're acknowledging their trust in you. We have opportunity once again at, at your table to which you've invited us in Christ's name. Amen.